Welcome to Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. I'm Ann Roby, an HR advisor and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. And I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness. So, Anne, I know you years ago heard me raving about a Korean-inspired restaurant that my friend Kim had, and I always thought it was kind of sad that you moved a couple years before she opened it because it was in walking distance of where you used to live and you would have loved it. Huge bummer. Very. I am so excited that Kim Hunter is joining us today. And one of the things that I really have always been so inspired by with Kim is she's so determined. She has so much grit. She is such a go-getter. And I have been lucky to get to see different iterations of that over the years. So let me just say a few words about what Kim is up to these days. And I love the way she describes herself in her bio. She is a chef, host, and curator of events that bring people together around the table. Inspired by sustainable ingredients that regenerate the land, she uses food as a medium for love and connection. And I have to say, that is exactly how I have experienced her every time I've had the good fortune to be at one of her tables. And speaking of tables, a table actually played a role in how Kim and I first met, which was way back in 2005 when we were seated at the same table at a professional women's event and we started chatting. She'd recently started her first business, and yes, that means there have been multiple businesses, and that determination and grit that I just mentioned, I was struck back then by it. So Kim, welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to have you joining us, and I'm going to turn it over to you now to talk about your journey, just a bit about how you got to where you are today and some of those significant moments along the way. Great. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. So I'd start by saying that for the past probably 20 years or so, I've been unlearning all of the things that I learned as a kid, the thing that kind of that programming that comes with our development, the things that we think we're supposed to do, we should do, what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. And yes, had a couple of businesses, many iterations of myself, I feel like. But throughout that time, that journey, I do feel like I've been putting effort and committing to myself to be my truest self, my most authentic. And that does involve letting go of a lot and unlearning all the shit that we thought. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't we start there a little bit, Kim? Like what, what do you think some of those things were that you had to unlearn from when you were a kid or first starting out? Or what are some of those things that were really important for you to let go of, do you think? Really, it's kind of this big picture of the right way to be which in my family was a lot around traditional values. The goal being to be a self-sufficient success, maybe owning a house, having a job that you go to every day, being productive. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. I think those attributes are lovely (laughs) or can be, but marriage might be part of that story of what's good. And I just looking back, feel like a lot of those values were maybe like subtly or not so subtly 
drilled into our heads, in mine at least, in my family. Uh, my paternal grandfather was a Midwestern Protestant minister. So I think just a lot of those kind of traditional values and the generation that was what we knew to be good. All really, really great intentions. Mom and dad wanted you to do well. They set these things like you should own a house. You should have a traditional sort of marriage. You should, 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 should. But it sort of sounds like at some point you recognize maybe this wasn't really for you. Sure. It's not about these specific pieces, but I think it's more about just having, growing into having more of an awareness of making our own decisions. And from that, then being able to really kind of discover, go down a path of discovery about like who we really are and what brings us joy, what feels fulfilling and not making any assumptions about what that is. So when you talk about unlearning these messages around tradition and maybe marriages in there and what success looks like. Did you start out where you're following this very traditional path or were you already forging your own path and trying to unlearn the self-talk around what you should be doing? Definitely did not start out on any sort of path of awareness. Did start doing the things without really even just having conscious awareness about my actions, the choices I was making. I didn't realize it at the time, but I realize now that I wasn't really making a lot of conscious choice. And it took me a while. It took me quite a while to figure that out. Being adopted from Korea as a young child, spending my really early years, I think just kind of like in survival mode emotionally. And then I was this, rebellious teen, did experience some some trauma as well, and then became a teen mom at the age of 18. So I went from like survival child to this immense amount of responsibility. And probably along with the characteristics of my family, just along with that, just also being in a place where I didn't have a whole lot of opportunity or access to like develop myself earlier. And it was actually right around the age of 30. So I, I became a teen mom, had my first child, my son got married a couple of years later at 22. And then at 30 chose to divorce that person that I had married. And that was the big challenge and a, just a really tough decision to make. As of course, we know that that is for many people having grown up in an environment where it was like, okay, marriage is definitely forever. Uh, and there was just no other option. Like we, there was never any other option discussed. So it was probably one of the earlier, like incredibly conscious aware choices that I made for myself at around 30. So what you're describing is from a pretty young age, from your teenage years to 30, you went through what many, many people spend 40, 50 years going through. You had a child, you got married, you're raising your child, you get divorced all by the time you are 30. And I would love to hear a little bit more on what was happening for you as you were navigating what sounds like a, it's a weird way to say it, but a pretty emotionally packed 
roller coaster? Becoming a parent did put me in a place, and I suppose this this was certainly a choice because not everyone would necessarily take this route, but I did step up to the plate and take on that responsibility head on. It was, of course, not easy at all. I felt pretty out of place in the world. And actually, I would say that would be a consistent theme from the earlier days, you know, from my youth as well. But then who are my peers at that point? My friends that were like going to parties or going off to college, there was not so much I could relate to there. But then the the other moms or the other parents that I was around because of my child were a lot older than than I was for the most part. So feeling pretty out of place in that environment and just getting it done, going through it, trying to get up each day and do the best you can type of thing, I would say is where I was for quite a while. And I also think looking for kind of a sense of normalcy in my life, just because I didn't really have that and I didn't really feel that. And and I do think that that's one of the, probably the reasons why I chose to marry the person I did at 22, who was not my son's father. So just looking for like some stability and normalcy in my life. (laughs) Yeah. You had been going through a lot by that point. So then you kind of find yourself, you're 30, you're divorced. Do you have other children then at this point or just the one son? I do. I had one other child, a daughter at the age of 27 while I was married. Okay. So now you have two kids, you're 30 and getting divorced and you know, you had been seeking sort of some stability. What did this do for you at the time in terms of feeling your place in the world and looking for some of that stability? Yeah, I certainly did achieve that sense of stability upon getting married. And I I got a daughter out of it. And my ex-husband is a a lovely human being. He's a very like stand-up responsible guy. (laughs) Super helpful. (laughs) And it was very helpful at the time. But I'd say like aside from that, that's probably all I really got out of it. And I fairly quickly realized that it just it's not that life, that relationship, that kind of family unit was not what I saw for myself. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a gift right there. So while this relationship provided you some stability for a while, it also gave you the gift of like, okay, now I know what I don't want. So now you're, you're 30, you're on your own again. And what's, what happens next in your life? It felt incredibly freeing from day one. I sought out a therapist for the first time as an adult. And I laugh about this. I didn't know people could go to therapy for so long. I stuck with that for over 10 years. And I kept trying to, at various intervals, I think we're done here. (laughs) I didn't figure this out. And, And my therapist, who was great, I appreciate the relationship that we had, just kept like, you know, there might be some more to work on now. Now that you've gone through this critical point, maybe there's a little more to unpack. And she was right. <laughs> so at that point, when I was 30, I did have my first business and new new Sherry at that time. So I continued with that, although it fairly quickly turned south and I closed it 
And what kind of work was that? I had a small sales support marketing company. We basically developed marketing opportunities for mostly software companies, startup software businesses. And when you say it quickly went south, (laughs) talk a little bit more about that. Because it sounds like there's something interesting in there. So, Sherry, you had mentioned something around, you know, you appreciated my, I'm a go-getter. I kind of jump in. I had jumped into this business. I was relatively unprepared to run a business, but it's partly grit. It could have been a little bit of actually just immaturity too. This combination of things, it was fine. It all worked out and I'm, I'm happy for the experience, but did I know what I was doing? Not so much. And (laughs) the reason that I got into that line of business in the first place was in my very early twenties, I needed a job and this software company gave me a chance. I didn't know anything about that field. They taught me a lot, kind of worked my way up in that company. And then suddenly five or seven years later, I knew a whole lot about marketing software. And so it was the logical step for me. I wanted to do something on my own career-wise. Well, I know a little bit about this. I'll start a business on that topic. And so it wasn't like my dream, but it was something that I knew. And I really love independence in my work, autonomy. And so I was actually around 27 years old, really ready to kind of step out in my on my own in some way. So that, that's what I chose to do at the time. But with the lack of preparation, lack of funding, and then when the real estate market and dot-com crash occurred, I think in the early 2000s, all of those things happening at once, it just became really hard to sustain my business. And also the truth is, you know, was my heart really, really, truly in it? Actually, it made sense. It was a good time to shut it down, but it was also painful because I had racked up some debt for the business at that point. So the finances were not incredibly healthy and probably even more so, I felt like a failure. It hurt, it was sad the sense of loss around that, like all of those things were just really, really difficult. Now you're divorced and have two kids. You've kind of had to give up this business, even though it wasn't your dream job. So how do you pick yourself up? You know, what happens next? Yeah, I closed the company. There was this transition period, still a single mom and needing to have an income. So I dabbled in various things. And one of the things I did was I did stay in that line of work just a little and briefly where I would take on, you know, clients that just needed a little bit of help and kind of freelanced there. And that was really helpful. But I knew that I was starting to get the sense that I really wanted to work with my hands. You know, I had been at a desk for all of my career and I felt like I needed to like roll up my sleeves, kind of get my hands dirty, so to speak. And I was starting to feel this pull towards something food related. Didn't really know what yet, but I I was feeling that. So I also got involved in 
some of the local farmers markets where I was living in Raleigh, North Carolina, volunteered in food related businesses and just kind of like every chance I got, you know, I talked to farmers, I talked to chefs and I tried to kind of like be in kitchens a little bit while still making things work on the other end. And that was my transition phase. I want to jump in for a second and go back to your comment that you were starting to feel that you wanted to work with your hands. And we talk a lot on the podcast about things like listening to those internal whispers or paying attention to a sense of being pulled towards something. And I'm curious when you talk about having this sense of wanting to do something with your hands, how did you know that or what did that feel like? I had always enjoyed cooking, but I noticed that like my work conversations, my professional conversations, water cooler conversations, you know, other people might've been talking about the new version of software as a service. And I always went back to food. (laughs) I was so obsessed with it. (laughs) And even in environments that maybe we're talking about food and those connections and what we cooked and how and where maybe it really didn't make sense to be having that conversation. It wasn't particularly fitting, but somehow it's just like, I always brought it back to that. It's like, I couldn't not. And so that was kind of a clear sign to me, like, hmm, maybe I'm really into this. (laughs) And also I would say, you know, this pretty deep dissatisfaction with the status quo, with what I was currently doing and just starting to notice that and tune into it. I, you know, I see this happen sometimes with people and, and including myself at different points in my life where we do hear that whisper and we just push it away. It doesn't feel comfortable. It doesn't feel right for whatever reason. And at that point in my life, and I think it was probably because I was actually starting to like make real true choices for myself and open my heart up a bit more and my awareness that maybe it was a good time for me to be tuning into that. So really, yeah, I'd say the biggest thing is not running away from that deep level of dissatisfaction that I had. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because it really ties back into how you started the conversation about growing up in a family that you know, it sounds like it it was a great family and all, but like just had some things, some expectations on you that weren't the way you were going to want to live your life. And so I almost have this vision of you, like sort of like a flower kind of leaning towards the sun. And like, as you get a little bit closer, you unblossom a little bit more and and a little bit more. And I suspect it's going to lead us to you being more involved with food, right? Is that sort of where we go next? I'd say so. That's pretty much where it went after that. So absolutely. And so did did the restaurant come next or or did you start working in other, you said farmers markets, other things. So just talk us through some of that. I kind of moved around a bit in the sense of, you know, exploring food in various ways. And I did work at Western Wake Farmers Market for a couple of years and really just loved it. You know, it wasn't necessarily a big career job or anything, but being outside, forging relationships with farmers, mostly sustainable farmers. I really cherish that time putting myself out there. And through that work, I did get the opportunity to meet more chefs 
and restaurateurs as well. So every opportunity that I had to kind of engage with the chef, I tried to take and learn. I did not work in a lot of restaurants, and that's pretty uncommon for restaurant owners. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of amusing to me. In a sense, I just dove in again. I did work at a couple restaurants, like maybe two, and for not incredibly long periods of time. And then I was kind of dabbling, certainly cooking a lot myself, and then kind of stuck my toe in the water with making and selling food for an actual living. Um, I was doing a little bit of catering and making a couple specialty dishes, um, some Korean-inspired foods that I really enjoy making. Like amazing dumplings. Yes, <laughs> that was one of them. Dumplings kind of bring me home. It is <laughs> one of the activities that really centers me. So on many levels, I enjoy that. But yeah, I sold dumplings to various people and sold them at the some of the local farmers markets as well. So that was a bit of my getting established in food in some way. But then within a couple of years, I knew that I had my sights on opening a restaurant or cafe of some sort. And I just kind of like kept my eye on that. And the truth is, I didn't know it at the time, but I, I didn't realize how much I didn't know, <laughs> again, about running a restaurant. <laughs> but somehow, you know, like made it work. A couple of friends and family and I pulled a relatively small amount of money to open this thing, you know, on a pretty low budget. Opened the doors in 2013, and I was so excited. It was a really good run, I, I say. I, I very much enjoyed it. You closed about five years later. And was that a financial decision or an energetic decision? Or or what led to you wanting to bring that chapter to a close? It was a little bit of both financial and I'd say energetic, looking at what feels right for me, what's what's serving me. Each year for the first several years, you know, we grew the income increased and it was really going pretty well. It was, as most of us know, you know, we all hear, you know, running a restaurant, it's challenging more so than many industries. There were a couple kind of like just tactical and operational things that knowing what I know now probably would have started a little bit differently. Just kind of things like the physical space of the restaurant was very, very small, unusually small for Raleigh. It was like a thousand square feet, kitchen and dining room. So tiny. It was a tiny restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. And you might see that sort of thing, you know, in like really in bigger cities with more population density and high volume, for example, but not so much, you know, I didn't see that a whole lot where, where we were. And then like what I was trying to do, kind of the concept that I had, not fine dining by any means, but also not totally fast casual or anything, somewhere in between a really the kind of lovely, relaxing experience. I was sourcing a lot of local ingredients, especially our proteins, everything really, but like pasture-raised local proteins are incredibly expensive, as I think they probably should be. But doing that at like a moderate price point, which was what I was offering, was just really challenging. And those were things that I kind of learned along the way. So how do you, you know, offer this experience? given the constraints that I had put myself in. So it was certainly wasn't like an easy road by any means, but 
at that point in my life, I was just so freaking determined. And like, I think that and our really, really fabulous customers and the whole thing and the people that worked with me, I mean, the whole thing came together to work, even though it shouldn't have worked. (laughs) (laughs) What led me to close was, you know, the stress of that and realizing, okay, maybe this isn't the most sustainable model that I had created. And then I did suffer from quite a bit of stress and anxiety at that point in my life as well with still being a single mom. I never remarried or I I have yet to remarry, I should say, and don't plan to actually, (laughs) you know, single mom, relatively young kids still, they were both in the, in the home with me and feeling pulled in many, many directions. I was feeling the stress and it was kind of manifesting a little bit physically as well. So all of that kind of brought me to this decision to close. And I I didn't want it to get to the point where it was just like suffering greatly my health or the health of the business or anything else. So I kind of wanted to do it while we were still at a point where it was good and it was healthy. There's something I find so interesting in your story so far, which is how deep this autonomy, independence, willingness to pay attention to where your energy wants to go or where your interests want to go. Because at this point, it would have been very easy. And I think more common than not for somebody to say, okay, I started a business and it turned out not to be right. The software business, you know, now I have this restaurant and I'm not seeing it as sustainable. I need to do something a lot more practical. And there's something really inspiring about you and I I know what's coming next in your story and I don't want to give it away, but you being so committed to, I am going to figure out what I want and what I want next. So talk a little bit about what came next. You know, what's funny is, is as we're talking, I'm realizing, you know, and I think this is common for many, many people. It feels like a nice flow, but there are these periods where we're like working really, really hard, getting it done, and then coming maybe away from that a bit. And then there's there's always this quieter transition space for me. I'm noticing there's a theme here because that's what came next is I again dabbled <laughs> in things. I tried several things, still food related. I opened a food truck because everybody, because everybody, you know, like lots of my customers said, oh, maybe you should do a food truck. That'd be so fun. Well, for them, maybe. (laughs) 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 And I have to say, not dissing the food truck business at all. It actually gave me so much respect for the people who operate those businesses. It is so intense. I personally found it to be more challenging than having a restaurant, but I tried it. I had a friend who was selling one and I purchased that and ran it for about six months and decided, nope, this doesn't work for me. It's it's hard, I feel like, to create a vibe and energy with a food truck. And that's something that's pretty important to me. And I, I realized that as I was kind of going along. So I found this lovely man who was really eager to have a food truck and it worked out great for him. So 
did that. And then I started doing pop-up dinners where myself and sometimes would collaborate with other chefs that I knew to create experiences in like unique locations that weren't necessarily restaurants. And that was just a lot of fun. And it was really kind of starting to get going right before the pandemic hit. So kind of had, of course, a pause in that. But I've really enjoyed creating these experiences anywhere. What is it about these experiences that you enjoy? I like the connection with the guests. If it's done well and mine have, you know, some have gone really well and some have been like, just okay, in my opinion, where I realized like, ooh, the connection wasn't actually there as much as I had hoped for. So that's certainly a learning experience too. But I think when it's done really well, it's this like really intimate level of like connecting with maybe the environment as well as your guests and the food. And I I love that very much. And then there's, you know, the creative aspect. And again, kind of going back to the, I like to do my own thing, you know, total autonomy. You know, we're not held to the expectations of a certain restaurant, like where if you try to change something up at your restaurant, your customers might not appreciate that. Like they want to come get the thing that they love from you. And I understand that, but this gives us the ability to kind of be whatever we want to be and go where we might want to go and see where it leads us. And of course that feels really good, good to me. So one of the things I'm struck by is because now you live in Western North Carolina. I do. And we tried Kim, but we could not find a lot on social media about you. Ah. And so I'm curious how these events have proliferated with what I'm going to guess is word of mouth. I don't know, but why don't you tell us a little bit about that, especially like traditional marketing would tell you, well, you have to have a presence and you have to do this and blah, blah, blah. But it seems like you are enjoying some of this success without some of the traditional methods. Are we correct about that? I'd say so. It's been pretty intentional. And you know, the, the truth is, okay, I'm not amazing at marketing myself. (laughs) (laughs) There is that as well. And it's something that I plan to work on as I take what I'm doing now further. But but also, I haven't really needed to put a lot out there marketing-wise. I'm kind of ready to do that now, I would say. But I kind of went into this retreat mode myself as much as possible while still kind of like living in the real world and not just completely like moving away to the woods. But yeah, I, I went kind of a little bit quiet. And two years ago, I did move from Raleigh to a fairly rural area of Northwest North Carolina in the mountains. I don't actually see a whole lot of people. Sometimes I very much miss that. And I certainly make sure I get out and you know <laughs> expose myself to the world. But I would say that I've been fairly intentionally retreating. I'm still curious then. So as you're in this retreat but you have these successful event-based dinners. How do people find you? Like, how has it happened that you've been able to sustain this business? So I'm incredibly grateful for my awesome clients. I wouldn't say that I have necessarily large following, but the people that I had the opportunity to connect with from the restaurant have really like stuck with me. They're so loyal and they do help with word of mouth advertising. So I'll get calls 
without putting anything out there, people will ask me to do private dinners for their, you know, important family events. And that's really lovely. And then I'll hold my own events as well. And so I get kind of various requests coming in from different places, pretty much based on that, you know, those original connections that I made through Kimbap, the restaurant. You know, you have a way that you talk about cooking and feeding people. And I don't think you use these words in our conversation today, but I've heard you use these words before around honoring the land and people who produce the food. And I often get the sense that this isn't just your work or your profession, but there's almost a spiritual aspect to it. But I'm wondering if that's true. I would say absolutely. Very, 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 very much so. And it's just become more and more so for me, the way that I feel about preparing food, the whole process, the whole path that food takes from the soil to the table. It's absolutely become this deeply connected spiritual way for me. You know, I really think about you just starting to dabble and play with food a little bit. And now it's really your connection to community and your spiritual connection in a lot of ways. And I think it's an amazing thing to be able to listen to those little whispers of wisdom, if you will, and be able to really follow it. I think that's really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. It feels really good to be a part of that and to be able to share it. You've talked about really starting your story with being adopted as a little girl and becoming a teen mom and navigating through so many different aspects of figuring out what's next for yourself. And I'm curious if you could go back in time and have a conversation with little Kim before most of this has played out. What is one piece of advice that you would give to her? Okay. So I have to say, (laughs) I've thought about this question quite a lot. I'm concerned that I might give like the wrong answer, but. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Well, we'll, we'll hit a buzzer if it's the wrong answer and then you can give the right answer. (laughs) Okay. But what first came to me and I'm sticking with it because I've gone back and forth is that I don't really think I'd give her any advice. (laughs) And I, I thought, you know, I don't want to be, um, unsupportive to that young girl, (laughs) like in movie, in um, time travel movies, you know, the um, retro causality, you go back in time and, and something changes, it affects the future. But no, really, I think there are many things that I would share with like the youth of today, but at the same time, I really do think that I wouldn't want to accelerate my learning, change anything at all. Everything was just, even the tough parts were just like exactly how they were supposed to be. Well, Kim, I think that's the definition of the perfectly imperfect journey right there. <laughs> and it's it's really what we're all about, that there's no way to design a life or design a line from point A to point wherever and have it be all sort of crystal clear. So I think that's beautiful. Let her continue to unfold and grow towards the sun as we talked about a few minutes ago. I love that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kim. We really appreciate your time. And I'm just bummed I don't live out in North Carolina anymore so I don't get experience with these fabulous dinners. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to talk with you both. 
Oh, yeah. So awesome to have you here with us today. And on that note, that wraps up our episode for today. We really hope you enjoyed it and would love it if you would share our podcast with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes, or post it to your own social media. You can find information in previous episodes about the podcast at flowingeastandwest.com. And please join us next time for Flowing East and West, The Perfectly Imperfect Journey to a Fulfilled Life.